Welcome to the sermon podcast of Faith Lutheran Church in Oregon, Wisconsin, proclaiming the historic faith of Christ crucified and the promises of God that our faith clings to. For more information, visit us online at faithlutheranoregon.com. Heavenly Father, sanctify us by the truth. Your word is truth. Amen. When the early Christians began uh, gathering shortly after uh, Jesus' resurrection and and Pentecost each week on the day of the Lord's resurrection, uh, we're told they gathered for the preaching, the breaking of bread, and the prayers. Not just prayer, but the prayers. That is, uh, the collection of prayers, the liturgy, uh, going through the motions. But... Isn't that what we despise the most? I mean, there's no worse thing to our modern sensibilities than simply going through the motions. But actually going through the motions, which is a term borrowed from the the sports world, is actually important and necessary because going through the motions trains you to handle difficult situations. That, I think, is the purpose of Psalm 84. It's a song, as the title says, of the sons of Korah. The sons of Korah were one of the choirs in the ancient Israelite temple. Uh, But look at what they sing, and this is what we sang together earlier. How lovely is your tabernacle, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Even the sparrow has found a home and the swallow a nest for herself where she may lay her young. Even your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. They're singing. They are longing to be in the temple, to not be apart from the temple, to not be apart from God's presence. But wait a minute, why are they singing? They're the choir in the temple. Why is the choir in the temple singing this thing? longing to be in the temple. I I think it's because sometimes people, we, sometimes we have to be apart from God's house. And so we need to be trained when we're here what to believe, think, and do when that happens. Now there's a useful distinction, I think, between what may cause someone to be away from God's house um, uh, so, and the distinction is this. Have, have we put something in our way, in our path of coming to God's house? Or has God put something in our path that gets in the way of coming to his house? Um, so this is true for, Israelites, for Israel's day as it is our own. So for instance, a person who is, who is homebound, who is unable to walk, they can't come. That's something God has put in their path. Uh, or... Uh, maybe when you've just finished shoveling snow and then the snowplow comes through and, and covers your driveway again. I have recent experience with this this morning. Uh, or a person serving in active duty uh, in the military cannot be present in God's house. Uh, there's an allusion to that, actually, in the psalm. I'm not sure there's an allusion to the snow thing in the psalm. But uh, there's an allusion to the military in the psalm with a reference to uh, the Lord God of hosts, that is, the, the God of armies. 
um, or a person who is uh, very sick and cannot come. In the psalm, there's an allusion to this as well, where it says, whose heart is set on pilgrimage as they pass through the valley of Baca. Now, the valley of Baca was a valley uh, in ancient Israel uh, that was lined with balsam trees. And this is where medicinal ointments were made to help a person in time of sickness. Uh, but the word Baca is also a play on words with the Hebrew word for sorrow or weeping or loneliness. So someone coming through the valley of Baca is someone who is in great need. They're, they're sick or they're coming through the valley of sorrow, the lonely valley. And these are all instances when God has placed things in our path, and so we are unable to be present in God's house. But there's also times when we put things in our path that prevent us from being present in God's house. And so this psalm is necessary training because it shows us how to view God's house. We are to long for it, even faint for it. If we don't come, we'd, we'd faint. The sons of Korah then give us this beautiful picture of, of two Palestinian birds uh, freely nesting in the courts of the temple. And maybe they found a, 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 a cleft in the columns uh, of the temple overlooking the tabernacle uh, where they've been able to make their home, or, or even as the psalm says, in the altar itself, on the altar itself. Uh, nobody else in, in Israel, not even, even the priests could go there most of the time, but, but even the birds could, could get there. And they've been able to make a home. And, and there's this sort of play on words again here too, because the tabernacle was meant to be a temporary structure. But a home is a permanent one. So how are these two Palestinian birds making a permanent dwelling, a permanent home in a structure that is temporary, the tabernacle? Now, there's two types of birds here that, that make their homes, sparrows and swallows. Sparrows are, are ruddy little birds. You know, they're really not very pleasant to look at. Uh, they're even somewhat despised birds because they, they, they eat seeds. We think of Jesus' parable that we'll hear in a couple of weeks in Luke 8 where the farmer sows seed on the ground, but, but the birds of the sky devour it. Uh, but those birds also sometimes eat seeds that we want them to eat, seeds like weeds. Uh, they're slow-moving vegetation scavengers. Swallows, on the other hand, are are thin and streamlined, sometimes with beautiful, shiny, uh, and colorful feathers. And, and they're always speeding from, from A to B, from here to there, uh, eating bugs out of the air without ever time to stop and rest. And yet, these two vastly different birds both find a home in the temple. So the sons of Korah sing out, My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. With our hearts, we may be figuratively slow-moving, contemplative. We desire things, maybe sometimes even things that are, that are not the best for us. Or we may be mourning over things past. We have holes in our hearts. We, we desire, we long to be filled. On the other hand, our flesh is constantly moving. 
we have a hard time resting. We're, we're speeding from, from A to B to do all the things that we think we need to do. But what we need to do most is not to do all the things, but to rest so that we can do those things well that God has placed in our path. So we have the, the strength to make it through all of life. So this image of these two Palestinian birds prompts one in heart and voice to cry out, my king and my God. The temple is the place of almost indescribable rest and peace. A major theme in the Old Testament prophetic books that describe the temple and have visions of God in the temple, uh, like Isaiah and Ezekiel, is that the glory of God fills the temple. And so on the Mount of Transfiguration, Peter seems to have this desire. He wants to be there. He wants to build a tabernacle there on the mountain. He wants to contain that glory. And it seems like a no-brainer. It seems like a good idea. But actually, although Peter has the right desire, it's misplaced. He wants to capture the experience of being in glory with Moses and Elijah and Jesus. I mean, what, what Peter is experiencing is absolutely good. Right? There's no question about it. it. It's heaven. It is good. He's experiencing heaven on earth. The communion of saints surrounded by the glory of God. But what he wants to do is capture that experience of heaven without realizing what actually makes it so amazing and gives it glory? It's like someone saying, well, God wants me to be healthy. Uh, so every Sunday morning at 9 a.m., I'm going to do my workout for the week to the glory of God. Right? Well, yeah, God wants us to protect our bodies, and our health is absolutely good. But if, if it comes before the Lord's presence, well, then it's misplaced, and we do more harm than good. Because what we're trying to do is, is find heaven on earth through our own experience. And what this is, is a, is a theology of glory. And I've mentioned this before. A theology of glory, uh, which is a belief that the goal of Christianity and, and God's goal for me is, is earthly happiness. That I can create somehow a heaven on earth. But notice, too, that, that Peter wants a tabernacle, not a home. Again, the very nature of a tabernacle is that it's not permanent. So Jesus rebukes him for it. And, and it's rebuke on us, too, because well, what earthly tabernacles am I making? What earthly tabernacles are, are you setting up? Where are, are we trying to find rest or fulfillment for heart or flesh. Any earthly tabernacle that Peter or we could set up, whether it be the tabernacles of pleasure or entertainment or family or wisdom or work, every earthly tabernacle will pass away. But the key to permanence, the key for true joy, for true rest, 
for fulfillment of all of our longing is Christ himself. Psalm 84, 9 says, O God, behold our shield and look upon the face of your anointed. Literally, gaze upon the face of your Messiah, your Christ. God grants protection, sanctuary, refuge, rest, fulfillment, a home, not in a temporary place, but in Christ. That's how a bird can make a permanent home in the tabernacle because the tabernacle is filled with the glory of God in Christ Jesus. This image of Christ as God's true temple is the key to understanding this, this psalm. And it's a theme also taken up in the Gospel of John, who of, who of course is also with Peter and James on the mountain. In John's Gospel, as Jesus speaks of the destruction of the temple, John notes that Jesus was really speaking about the temple of his body. His body is the temple, and it will be resurrected three days later. The body of Christ is the temple. The temple is the resurrected flesh and blood of Christ. And unlike any earthly tabernacle, it's permanent. It's the permanent and even physical abiding place of God's presence. Even now, as Christ is enthroned at the right hand of God the Father, his body, his earthly body, according to his human nature, he fills all things and is still the physical abiding place of God's presence. And so that means especially that when Jesus says of preachers, he who hears you hears me. When he says of baptism, that baptism now saves. When he says, take, eat, and take, drink, this is my body, this is my blood, it means God continues to abide physically with us, all thanks to his resurrection and exaltation. With the transfiguration, as, as bright as it was, was merely a foreshadow of. Recall after Jesus' resurrection, and also in John's Gospel, what doubting Thomas, doubting Thomas, what he said upon seeing the risen Christ extend his hands and offer his side. Thomas cried out, My Lord and my God likely quoting Psalm 84, 3. Thomas found his place of rest, of refuge, of fulfillment. Like a swallow finding a, a, a place of peace and rest in the cleft of the temple, Thomas has found rest and peace, peace in the cleft of Jesus' side. Because Jesus himself, in body and blood, is the tabernacle. Jesus is the one place where we meet God and where we too abide in Jesus, just as a swallow or sparrow who's found a home. 
And this then actually changes our perspective on our situations in life. The transfiguration is Jesus training to Peter to go through the motions, to ascend the mountain, to get a glimpse of the glory of God, to be surrounded by it, to be refreshed. Peter has the right idea, but, but he wants to dwell there, and it's really the wrong mountain. Jesus still has to go to another mountain, Mount Calvary, where he will suffer and die. And it's interesting, right after this in Matthew's Gospel, is where Jesus says, if you have, if you have faith like a mustard seed, you can move mountains. Well, maybe what Peter needed was to spiritually move a mountain. To see the glory of God and God's abiding presence even in the valley of Baca, the valley of sorrow and loneliness on Mount Calvary, not on the Mount of Transfiguration. So blessed are those who dwell in God's house. Those who, in the midst of this temporary, passing world, filled with changes and chances, we find our home in the presence of God. So what rest does your heart or body need? Are you one whose heart is set on pilgrimage, who wanders through the valley of Baca, the lonely valley of sorrow. By faith, you get to move a mountain, and the valley even becomes a place of springs covered with refreshing pools. We who are weary from our journeys get to ascend the mountain after every six days. We get to go from strength to strength, as the psalm says, from strength to strength, appearing before God in Zion. And as a result, God hears our prayer. He looks upon the face of his anointed, the face of his Christ. And so we can say with the psalm writers, for a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the presence, in the home of my God, than dwell in the temporary tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and a shield, the Lord God will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. No good thing will he withhold. Even in the valleys of Baca that we go through, God will work, the, will work for good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. No good thing will he withhold. So we acknowledge, O Lord of hosts, Blessed is the man who trusts in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now and ever shall be, forevermore. Amen.